Welcome to Theology in the Dirt, where we try to practice our theology at home and in the public square of our city and our world. Your hosts are Keith Thompson and Mitchell Jolly. Theology in the Dirt is produced by Chris Hayes, and the artwork is by Kayla Sanner. All right. Hey, guys, thank you so much for uh, listening and watching Theology in the Dirt. We're grateful, and we're glad to have Chris back with us again for session three on leadership. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to kick off our third session today uh, with a couple of questions that we got. And uh, so here they are. So Keith and Chris, here we go. How do you follow a leader when it's hard to respect them as a leader? How do you follow a leader when it's hard to respect them as a leader? What do you think? I don't know. One of the replies that I had to you is, is that I think everybody can think back to a time where we had one of those seagull leaders. Um, and then what I'm referring to that is seagull leadership. And you know, they fly in, crap all over everything, and then fly away and expect you to pick, you know, clean up the mess. So it, it, bottom line, it comes down to a choice in that particular you're where you're at because that's where the Lord's got you in the moment. So yours is not to question how well you're supposed to do or what kind of excellence you're supposed to pursue. So you have a choice in that moment. You can either funnel that seagull leadership down to others, or you can be a filter and guard those that you influence against that. Now, when I say guard others against that, I'm including the leader himself. So you get to choose in that instant how you're going to lead. Mm-hmm. Just because somebody above you or next to you is a poor leader or influencer, the question becomes is that what are you going to do with that situation? Now, I always go back to start with the one in the mirror. If you have a poor leader, how good of a follower are you and how good of a teammate are you in that, in that mode? If you think they're a bad leader, do you sense a, a, a sense of uh, entitlement to not be a good follower? Mm. You, it's still on you to follow with excellence. You might not like the individual or respect the individual, but he, he has been given charge and is over you or she. Right. And you have, to, you, have, you have to move out on that. So, I mean, it's, it's very contingent upon, okay, where's your heart? And what are you willing to, to filter out to other folks? Mm. your thoughts I, I, I would just echo what you, what you said Chris um, one thing I, I would point out is I, I think it's important anytime we're in a situation where the leadership seems to be sort of moving in the wrong direction I, I think we should ask ourselves the question uh, we shouldn't assume I'm here because God wants me here I do believe that people sometimes end up in places that they are not supposed to be you know they they got there for all sorts of wrong reasons. Um, and so I think we should have to ask ourselves the question, am I in fact in the place that God wants me to be? Uh, maybe this, this poor leadership is the, is the wake up call that this isn't where God wanted me. It once you decide, yeah, this is where God wants me. I, I believe in the mission of this organization. I believe that the gifts that God has given me to stay here, I'm stewarded them. I'm stewarding them well, right. um, as opposed to stewarding them in a place that, that wouldn't be stewarding them well. Then you, you do all the things that Chris said. You, you basically um, ask yourself the question, you know, have I been, have I been living a, a life here at this place where I do have influence, where people trust me? They feel like I'm, I've, I've 
operated by the fruits of the spirit and I'm kind and, and people respect my self-discipline and the things that I'm, I've done here. If so, you've got influence. Even if you're not the, the one with the, the name tag on, you still have influence. And if you believe in the, if you believe in the work that you're doing and you believe that God's called you there, you in fact have a responsibility to, to um, make it, make a change. Even if, if the leader really is working counter in a way that's counterproductive, um, you know, there's a way to go about that within the structures in the organization right. to bring those things to bear. One thing that we, I, I think, you know, um, it's important for Christians to, to remember what the New Testament tells us about the proper way to deal with conflict. Um, there, you know, you, there are, um, Ken Sandy's written a book about peacemaking. There, there are peacemakers uh, who are the people who do it biblically. Then there are peace breakers. They're the ones always looking for a fight. And then there's peace fakers. And the peace fakers are the ones who just go, look, man, I'm, I'm just not going to deal with it. We, we don't get the chance. We don't get the opportunity to, um, because our leader's bad, to just go along to get along. Mm. We, have to, we have to really ask the Lord, what's my role in this? Maybe, like Esther, um, I, you're there for such a time as this. And you do it based on biblical perspective and biblical principles. Good. That really speaks to, I think, the second question is, what does leadership like, look like for a person who doesn't happen to be the top dog and it sounds an awful lot like there's a component of self-leadership that's vital um in how one follows and how one teams in order to be faithful with what they've been given where they are well i mean it's you know and it's something that i've you know being in the military for almost 28 years and then i enter into an organization where my supervisor is 25 years my junior you know i've actually had to learn from where i've previously been mm. it's been a challenge for me to learn how to lead from the middle i'm not the i'm not the one at the top of making the decisions but in that how do i influence where the influence is needed mm. how do i learn what my leader needs how do i take things off of his plate so that he can be the leader that we need him to be. Sometimes our folks need to protect us from ourselves as leaders. And then even as teammates, we can protect our teammates from each other. Sometimes we get in our own way. So in, in an attempt to lead from the middle, how do we get to know one another and serve one another well? Because when each of us truly knows one another, cares for one another, and each of us truly believes the other is trying to help the other one become better, that builds a culture that is a lot more effective than other cultures out there where there's a personal agenda and you're not sure where that person's approaching something from. You know, when, when there's that kind of animosity or friction out there, it, it's really hard to be able to influence well. People have to know where your heart is. And, and what your belief for the team is. That's good. Well, that really sort of segues to one of the areas we identified a little bit offline in regard to ends, right? So leadership, whether it's from the middle, whether it's in the questions language top dog or, or maybe from, from the back of the pack, leadership has to be driven by an end, a purpose, right? So as Christians, particularly, how do we approach leadership, whether it's at the front, middle, or back, 
in regard to where we are leading someone. So, so in other words, we have to answer the question why. So as Christians leading, whether it be in a in a setting that isn't overtly Christian or one that is, how do we apply the why of leadership? Yeah, so it this sort of gets into the, the, the first the first question that was asked. We talked a little bit about we have to ask our, ourselves a question, do we really believe in what we're doing here, what this organization or this effort, whatever endeavor it is that I've joined, um, do I believe in what they're trying to do? I right. think it's a very important question to ask. And if we're as we're talking about leadership, we're, we're, it's a little bit different than um, we all lead in some level, but leadership in the sense that we're discussing it is the person and the group of, or the group of people who are actually setting the destination and trying to decide where we're going to go. That's right. what a leader does. That's one of the roles of a leader is you, you help identify what the end is going to be. Right. And so um, I think as a, we, we really can't have a productive discussion about leadership unless we at least include, well, the first question is, where are we going to go? If, if, I'm a, if I'm an elite mountaineer and a group of people come and they join me and they, they want me to help them summit Everest, and through just an incredible display of, of excellence in mountaineering, I take them to the top of Rainier, um, they're not going to figure, that's not going to be a win for them. That's poor leadership hmm. because I, I, I leveraged all, these, all this gifting and ended up in the wrong place. So I think at some point in the day, as Christian leaders, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the, where has God in his, um, in his sovereignty and in his providence, and as he's called me into this kingdom, where is this kingdom supposed to go? And so we, ha we, we have the responsibility, I believe, in every sphere of our life to ask that question. This person's greatest need is to be reconciled with God. This organization's greatest need is to be reconciled with God. This world's greatest need is to be reconciled with God. Therefore, knowing that, even if they're not pursuing that specifically, as a believer, I've got a responsibility to factor that into because what God's called me to do is to know him and to make him known. And so I, I think we can, we can talk more about that, but I'll, I'll at least initially start with that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that, I, I don't, you know, that, that's spot on. I, I think from a military perspective, you can equate that to the commander's intent. You know, and in this instance, when we look at, okay, who's our supreme commander? It's the Lord. What is his intent for us? Once we have relinquished everything and given our heart and invited him into our heart, what is his intent for us? And it's to help facilitate, bring others to him. So if that's his intent, with what you said, it doesn't matter what role or sphere that we're operating in. We wouldn't look at it any different if I'm at work working with somebody alongside somebody, or if I'm at home with my daughter or my <coughs> wife. Commander's intent is still in play there. You know, in the military, you would see the commander's intent throughout the, uh, they call it message traffic. There's the warning order, be prepared to, then there's the task order, the tasking order telling you, go do this. Then there's the concept of operations where you interpret his commander's intent from the message traffic. So there's not a lot of interpretation. It's pretty specific. Go forth and do this. Mm -hmm. so, and then you're carrying that out. So 
I, I would agree with you that it, it really isn't any different from a Christian leader perspective. There may be nuances in what we're doing in the moment, but ultimately, where's our heart? And is it clear to those that we're having influence on where we're coming from, where we're anchored, and what our, what our journey is? So I actually had, actually had this discussion yesterday with Bob Roberts um, and, and uh, sort of a trail off of uh, leadership, and I was referencing some of our discussion. Um, how is it? How is it that we work those ends into those settings? For instance, like, you know, as a chairman for the Division of Family and Children's Services, I've been on that board for a very long time. There are people on that board who agree with my worldview, people who don't agree with my worldview. But we have an end we're, we're trying to get to, which I would argue is a, is a biblical end, whether it's recognized as biblical or not. We want the welfare and the goodness of all things. Colossians 1, 15 to 20, all things brought under the rule of Christ, whether they see it as the rule of Christ or not. But we also want the individuals to, to see, savor Jesus. So how do, in those settings, how do we work through always sharing versus failing not to share the truth, right? Nuances of the gospel and how we work that ultimate end. Because Keith, if my aim is Everest, but you get me to the top of Rainier, I'm going to be going, hey, man, we're on the wrong mountain. Yeah. Right? So, so how do we work that in that we want to get you to the top of Everest, not merely Rainier? Yeah, that's a, that's a very complex answer, and it's been debated. It's being debated right now um, in, in all sorts of um, religious settings. How, how much can we join with people who don't, um, don't share our faith? Like, how much can I work with someone who doesn't believe that man's greatest need is reconciliation with God? Like, if, if we look at a problem uh, like um, uh, kids who don't have parents, because of various problems that are going on in, in the family. And you believe ultimately the reason we have this problem is because people's, you know, a parent's heart um, is not aimed in the right direction, or um, we've got these structures that are broken and they're not, they're not living in a way that's consistent with the glory of the Lord and with the instruction in the scriptures. Mm. How much uh, can a person who completely feels like that's not the problem, how much can y'all sit around the table and, and solve the issue? Well, for sure, you guys can get people, you can get kids out of unsafe situations and you can get them into safe situations, regardless of why the, what you feel about the problem. Right. So, but as for me, as a person who is, um, who's, who I feel like the Lord's called me to glorify him and to make him known, very early in the process, I have to let those that I'm working with, look, this is my worldview. I believe that these kids and these families are broken because they haven't submitted themselves to Christ and the Lordship of Christ. And their parents didn't commit themselves to the Lordship of Christ. And they're not living in a manner that leads to human flourishing because the only way we can live in a way that leads to human flourishing is according to Christian principles and scriptures. So as a board member here, that's what I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be working toward that. You guys need to know that. If you won't allow me to do that, then I can't serve on this board. Um, and so you start there. And I think that the conflict is, is gonna arrive. I mean, you, you mentioned in, in one of our podcasts earlier about politics. Some people feel like you can't take government money because they know, because they know that very early on in the process, 
the government's not going to allow you to say and do certain things. And others go, well, that's fine. We'll, we'll go as far as we can. But I, I, for me, the, the answer is you got, I think you have to let your, who you are known early and state early what you feel like the real problem is and what, how the answer is ultimately going to be made. I'm totally convinced that if we go front door, if we're honest on the front end about what our intent is, but that we really want to help, not just we want to get you to the top of Everest, but we really want to take the best route there and trust that you can see some good routes to get there. Um, we can we can work together. So therefore, I just want you to know that I'm going to be all about Jesus and I'm all about doing it his way. And I'm willing to work with you as long as your way doesn't conflict with that way. I think that buys us the ability to be clear while at the same time being able to work really in our, our cities yeah. and world. Well, you know, like we, um, we may have talked about in the past, I don't remember, but you look at the scriptures and you look at how Paul handled things and you look at how Philip handled things and, and Timothy and those guys uh, and Christ, they're, they're early with the truth. You know, it's not like they've got these long relationships that last six months, one year before they squeeze in. Um, and a friend of mine, Michael Badriaki, says you can't smuggle in Jesus. It's not, <laughs> the plan isn't to smuggle in Jesus. The plan is to go early with Jesus. Right. And then once that's sort of out there, you know, you, whether Paul's dealing with the guys in Athens or he's dealing with people in Philippi or, or you know, a largely Jewish congregation, he, he starts differently usually. But he ends up in the same place, but it's really early, usually in the first conversation. Yeah, good. And, and Mitch, you know, to, to couple that with the idea is, is that we had mentioned early on and that you really can't call yourself a leader. Now, while I agree that Keith's perspective of leader in that instance is he's the one setting the vision, totally, totally in alignment and agreement with that. But to call yourself a leader, that's, that might be a stretch too far because, there, you know, there should be evidence of having led. Right. I would say the same should be true for us in our vocations right. or our family or at church or with friends. There should be evidence of you walking out your faith right. in a biblical manner. And as Christian leaders, if we're doing that, if we're making you know, biblically, morally, ethically, legally sound decisions right. in, in that context, that's going to be a win for the organization that we're operating in. Right. Now, there's always, there might be a difference of an opinion on how to get to something, but that's a little bit different. But if, if where our heart's at is operating from that perspective, right. And the evidence of our leadership or our followership or our kingsmanship shows that we're living out our faith in a whole, full, and healthy way. That's what we're after. Yeah, absolutely. We want to get to the end, and we want to get there uh, rightly as well. And You you talk about merging the streams where a lot of people try to bifurcate them and, and create a little... This is my Christian world over here. Yeah. And this is how I have to do business in this world over here. Yeah. Absolutely. So they kind of, they've got these separate streams and they're trying to ride boats in both streams and that's not going to work. Right. Right. And, and, and I would even argue we can, 
there can be people who don't agree with our end but want to take our way to get there and it will still benefit them to a point um but but we can still work together even if they reject my end um they can still ride love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control to a great place but still may not reach the end and the way we speak that and say that may purchase for us the capital to continue to work in those environments and be explicitly Christian at the same time. Sure, because there's a, a level of success which is driven by man, and then there's a level, a level of significance which is driven by the commander's intent. Right. And that's driven by the Lord. So which, which, which hilltop or which mountaintop are we pursuing? You know, if a better bottom line or a better profit margin or better numbers is the agenda, we're only going to get, I mean, we're, we'll put a ceiling there un, unintentionally. But if we redefine what significance is right, and where that will take us, that's better than any bottom line could ever be. Absolutely. You know, and I know Keith had thoughts about how we define some of those terms. Right. also plays into it yeah absolutely defining terms Keith. when you talk about uh discussing leadership being careful to define terms and and even defining our authority right and and, and even being able to set what ends and means are so why is defining terms important when it comes to leadership yeah i think um um one of them i i remember who said it but somebody i heard recently um said that that one of the marks of wisdom is being able to make distinctions, like to recognize distinctions between things that otherwise might seem the same. Right. And, you know, when we listen to conversations right now, particularly in the political sphere, where people are trying to solve problems for humanity, we're trying to figure out how we're going to beat things like pandemics and viruses and, and um, you know, social ills in our communities. Right. We throw around words like love. And we throw around words like kindness. Uh, all the all the words that are in the fruits of the spirit and you can have you can have three different people using the same term like love and mean something completely different when it actually walked itself out in practice mm. um, you know is it is it loving to give your kids all the candy they want you know your your kids feel like yeah that's the most loving thing you could ever do for me is to give me all that candy because that's what i want right and based on my assessment of me and and who i am as a, as a six-year-old, my greatest joy would be to have all that candy. Well, we know better than that. I mean, that's not true love. Love is giving someone um, what they need and what's best for them, not giving them always what they want. That's a, that's a very, um, it's, that is a Christian definition of, of love that some people may not buy into. Our world is sort of telling us love really looks like affirming everybody and almost everything that they want to, you to affirm them in. And so we get to redefine things like identity. We get to read, you know, um, the pluralist view would say we all define that for ourselves. The Christian worldview is very different. It's like, no, our authority isn't inside of me. Just because I feel a certain way, um, that, that feeling may be accurate. It may not be accurate. But the way I know if it's accurate or not is I go back to the greatest authority, which is the scriptures, which is essentially, it's not the book that's authoritative it's the one who spoke the book which is yahweh the god the creator god 
and and then the manifestation of that in in the son christ so we go to the scriptures as believers and we go there to define things like love and uh compassion and you know words that that um chris has pointed out for us are, are necessary words in leadership and management and teamship and following well you know being fair firm and accountable um all those words have to be defined. We cannot assume, right. especially when we're hearing it in the media, that right. when someone uses those words, they're using them in the same way we would. Right, right. There's a requirement on our part to define terms. I mean, part of that is is being detailed enough to be able to simply ask the question, what do you mean when you say fair? Right. Is firm, because their definition of firm may be different than my definition of firm, and then what is accountable, right? And so, yeah, defining terms is going to be key for us in, in, in leadership and understanding how someone else is defining them. If I'm in the middle of the back, I might not have any pull on how they are defined, but I definitely can understand how they're defined and it dictates how I act. Right. All right. So here we go. Can leadership principles alone lead us to wholeness, to satisfaction, to fulfillment of human beings in and of themselves, right? So um, can mere leadership principle lead us to the highest of highs? Yeah, I think this is where the Christian worldview is very distinct. And we would say, no, there, there's a very specific path toward wholeness and fullness. And again, wholeness is, is, a, is to be reconnected with the Lord and with, with the, our creator, God, who made us. So there is a sense in which you can successfully arrive at the wrong place and find yourself, find yourself still empty and not whole. You know, the scriptures, Jesus talks about, um, you know, if we come to him when we're weary and we're heavy laden, that he's got rest for us. What, what Jesus is talking about um, is, is that he's got a place for us where we will have met all the needs that we feel inside of us. Mm. Every one of us long for something. Christians know what that longing is. We know what that, what that person is. When, when a person goes after all these pursuits, we know what really is going to fulfill that. Mm. And so, no, we, we can, um, Earl Nightingale said, he defines success as um, the, the successful pursuit of a worthy goal. Well, you have to define worthy. It's not just any goal. Right. We can't be successful at anything and consider that really successful. So, um, yeah, Christians, I think, would say definitely not. We have to train people to go after things with solid principles that right. come from the scriptures, but we also have to consider the pursuit. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Chris? Well, I, I think it gets back to where's your heart in the matter? Right. You know, we can, we can be incredibly generous, but, I mean, if we're generous for a self-serving perspective, what end was that generosity? I mean, we're, we're all called to be generous by the Lord, but it's with, you know, a loving heart in, in, in the matter. It isn't, it's unconditional. Right. So, so what Keith said is, is that, you know, we can definitely pursue success, but significance in the term, you know, using terminology. Right. Significance is going to move us towards the Lord's agenda, not man's agenda. Right, right, absolutely. And let's do this. Let's take a, a break, and we're going to be right back to wrap up our discussion on leadership, part three.
All right. So here's a question in regard to uh, in regard to following up with the idea of of uh, how we get there, right? So so we're talking about leadership, and can leadership principle alone get us to significance? Um, and I think we would say no. Leadership principle alone can't take us to significance. Only only the ultimate truth of Christ can get us to significance, right? So. Um, we may have manners of success there, but not significance. So what is the place of excellence, right? So um, for the Christian, uh, for the Christian leader, what is the place of excellence and how does that fit into a, a stream of, of success leading to significance? I mean, if our goal is just to get them to the top of Everest, and we would say that would be the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, can we just be shoddy about it, right? We just make sure they get in. And it doesn't matter how we get there. I'm going to let the Navy SEAL answer that question. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> Excellence is it, it, it's a personal value of mine, but it comes behind integrity and family, and then it's followed by service. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I rank order my values in, in that way. And I would say that excellence is, is not optional. You know, we're to do what we are that's in front of us as if we're doing it under the Lord. So if I'm doing something, am I going to do shoddy work knowing it's going to him? Well, the reality is it's all going to him. So why would I ever think I could get away with mediocrity or just kind of hanging back and doing just enough? I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, perfectionism is something that I wrestle with, but it, it can't get in the way of still Forming in an excellent way for the Lord, because what we are doing is not for us in the moment, and it's not for those that may benefit from it. We should be doing it as if we're doing it under the Lord, because we are. So excellence is an expectation. It, it, it it's not optional. Right. Right. So Keith, can we can we achieve excellence with means? This is a this question just came to mind. Can we achieve excellence with means other than those explicitly spelled out in Scripture? Right. So, are there other general means that are part of created order that help us to be excellent? Yeah. So that gets um, that gets us back to sort of the definition of terms and what does excellence look like? I mean, have have we been excellent? If we um, uh, if if we the three of us are on the Titanic. We're realizing that um, the paint is sort of peeling off the walls on the bottom level of our little room where we're sleeping. If if people have told us over and over again this thing's sinking, and but we go, yeah, but man, we're gonna we're about to paint this thing up, and and it's the best paint job you've ever seen in the bottom floor of a of a ship. Right. And then three hours later, the thing's sitting at the bottom of the ocean. I would argue that we haven't we haven't practiced with excellence even though that the principles we used as we painted. So I think it part of being an integrated whole, which is what God has made us, is that we have to consider not only what we're doing, but what we're doing it for. And we, we talked about that a bunch. Right. But I would say that, um, man, it, it does matter what we practice excellence in. So, you know, can somebody do something really, really, really well who's atheist? And, um, you know, can somebody, you know, make a movie or do music? that's incredibly good, but has nothing to do with the Lord. Well, yeah, I mean, they can, but I don't think that's 
in, in the sense that a Christian would define excellence, I don't think that's excellent. But that doesn't mean that we, that we also, I, I believe, and we've talked about this in our churches, that do, as leaders in our domain, it's not, this isn't necessarily, I'm not saying this is the case. I'm saying this is what we're called to do. And it, the world should look at Christian endeavors and go, man, those guys do things with excellence better than any other people group on the planet. Right. I believe that's what we're called to do. And I don't know if this, you'll eventually, this will segue into the next conversation. We, if we believe the doctrines of our faith, we believe that we've been empowered with the spirit of God to in fact do that. Right. Not just propose it, not just go, man, I wish we could do things with excellence. The Bible tells us that when we are regenerate and we give our life to Christ, we, we're literally born again into the ability to follow the Lord in a way that an unbeliever can. Right. Well, then that leads us to, to this component. Then, then what is the role of the Holy Spirit in Christian leadership, right? So, Chris, we're talking about we've been empowered now. We have the creator of the universe who now is dwelling inside of us. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in my leadership in pursuing excellence and, and getting people to that highest place? Well, just for just a Another tidbit to what Keith just said is that I'm often left with the, the question, what if? Now, I'm not questioning other people's faith walks or whether they're a believer or not. But again, looking at the evidence in their journey, we've seen people that are phenomenally talented and exceptionally successful at doing what they're doing. But I'm left with the idea, what if? They were doing it from the perspective of, I'm doing this for the Lord, not for the big paycheck or the notoriety or anything like that. I mean, it, it just, I'm just left with that. You know, when we look at some of the, the leaders here recently, you know, from jobs to some of our sports uh, phenomenons, you kind of look at that and you're just like, man, what if? What if they were on fire for the Lord? Right. The fact that I can't say they were kind of alludes to how we open the conversation today. Is, is that does people recognize that I'm doing what I'm doing not for them but for the Lord? Right. You know, do they understand where my anchor point is, where my compass point? And if I'm getting off course, it's His Word that brings me back to course, hmm. and, and, and utilizing that. So I, I just. I wanted to reiterate that That's good. from that perspective. So, I mean, the perspective of having the Lord in our lives out front can't be a question for people to not be sure of. Right. As Keith alluded to, it, as Christian leaders, people, people should be able to look at this as, wow, they are doing phenomenally. And when I say they're doing phenomenally, even when we mess it up, conflict resolution looks better. Right. How we engage one another looks better. Our willingness to approach people that have put a hurt on us looks better. Right. It, it, it's not all the, the, the good-looking things of leadership that are in play, but it's all the other things that can be extremely challenging. Right. People are broken. We're all broken. We will hurt people, not a matter of if. But then how do we resolve that? 
Right. Do we let it simmer and become toxic to the organization and to the team and to the effort? Mm. Or we approach it with a level of humility to say, what I said hurt you. I'm sorry. I'll try not to do it again. How can I make amends? You know, it's kind of like that idea is, you know, when you have an apology and there's a but, but smell. <laughs> <laughs> totally eliminates the, the apology. So from a leadership perspective, when we go into that and we're being humble and we're opening ourselves up, being transparent, we show that humility, we agree that it was wrong, we're not going to do it again. How can we make amends to fix it? That goes a long way. It's showing that Christian perspective on leadership and teaming, leading, and following. That's good. I think uh, I think one of the things, one of the reasons we needed to have this discussion is because uh, it's easy in the Christian in Christian circles to assume too much when it comes to leadership. Maybe not take it seriously enough. Not practice growth in it because I think uh, the whole idea of having the Creator of the universe, the Holy Spirit, now as as the empowerer of excellence and 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 pursuing perfection. Um, we struggle because there are people who aren't Christians who are created in the image of God, not yet redeemed and not having the Holy Spirit. And because they're creating the image of God, they can use God tools to get to a certain place. And it makes those of us who have the creator of the universe in us look bad because we haven't had these discussions and then been forced to lean on that creative excellence of the Holy Spirit to get us to the highest places and empowering. So, so the whole idea of having the Holy Spirit as the one who um, empowers us is key to leadership, is leaning on him to teach us and to empower excellence and give us solutions uh, that maybe wouldn't come out of our natural ability. Yeah, Mitch, I want to read a few verses. I, I knew that we were going to get here, and I wrote these verses down. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that, um, you know, the person without the spirit doesn't accept the things of the spirit they think it's foolishness and they they don't understand them because these things are discerned only by the spirit so we're familiar with that verse then in, in romans 6 it talks about us before we're believers we're slaves to sin after we're believers we're slaves to righteousness and then romans 15 talks about how the gentiles will be sanctified but they're good the way they're going to be sanctified is through the is through the holy spirit and then, of course, John 15 is, is the verse we all know where Jesus says, look, I'm the vine, y'all are the branches, abide in me, and you, things are going to go well. Right. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so these, 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 these ideas that we're talking about aren't, you know, Christians trying to, us trying to put Christians up there into some sort of pinnacle that we, we shouldn't, that we don't, uh, can't, can't attain to. Right. These are supernatural truths that we believe because we believe the Bible, that right. the Holy Spirit of the living God literally is inside of us, driving us now, which is a distinction from what drove us before we were born again. Right. Now, does that mean that the day after I get baptized, I'm saved? Do I, do I always want the right thing? No, but th there is an expectation in the scriptures that we are different and we long for things that are different and we have the, we literally have the ability mm. because we have been given the scriptures and the spirit to understand them. We have the ability to understand things 
in a better way than right. unbelievers can. Right. Now that's a bold statement. It hasn't always worked itself out in experience for people who might be listening to this and even for me, but I, it's, I think it's important for Christians to realize this is who we, this is where we stand. Right. This is our standing in Christ. It's not imaginary. It's right. real and it has implications yeah. for what we should do and how we should live. I think you've said it before, Keith, if we don't practice that or at least attempt to put that into play in our leadership, we have to recheck. We have to check our theology. We have Absolutely. To check what is it I really actually believe? And does the, is that what the Bible means when it says that, right? Yeah. That's huge. I think, um, I think when it comes to leadership, um, I think it's easy for us to try to let other people give us a canned solution as opposed to maybe um, taking those things we read in Scripture and allowing the Holy Spirit to empower us to just simply practice and wait. And then this goes back to defining success, right, versus significance. Like what is significant versus what somebody else says is success? Um, because even how I define success can, um, if it's poor or it's off base, can affect my leadership principle and cause me to adopt things that aren't appropriate for me to use because I'm trying to achieve somebody else's definition of success or significance. Right. We see it in the church. I mean, there are debates about whether or not, you know, is success um, 60,000 in the, in the congregation or is success... Um, you know, 300 who are all sold out and are in, get in the church is engaged in church discipline, and we're into the lives of people who are right. who are um, in our in our midst, and we're actively involved in making sure that each of us is sanctified. Paul was called not to just share Christ, but to get people mature in Christ. Right. Are we doing that in the church? Right. If we if we identify success as the most amount the, the maximum amount of people who can listen to a sermon on Sunday, right? right. Obviously, I, I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think, I think success looks different, and it, it should be it should be driven from what we find in the in the scripture. Yeah, and that once again takes us back to where we're we going. Yeah, we have to understand what our end is, and then that's going to dictate all these other things that come down underneath that. Yeah. All right, Chris. What are some final thoughts that you have in regard to leadership? Man, we've been together for three sessions now. We've covered a lot of ground, and by, by no means have we been exhaustive, but we've covered a lot of ground. What are some thoughts, final thoughts you have on leadership for us that are explicitly Christian in our practice and our end? I think from a perspective of really discerning and understanding that leadership, you know, we had mentioned early on in one of the podcasts where is, is that when we're leading, if everybody, if we treated everybody as a volunteer because they are, you can't, there's no amount of coercion or extortion because you hold a paycheck over their head that is going to work for any length of time. Right. When we, when we're leading well and they're calling us a leader and they're willing to, they're willing we, we, we've earned the ability for them to want to follow us. That's, that's where we want to get to. Right. Is they're giving that, and people, when they're truly following you, will give more than you could ever demand or ask or tell of them. So, and then I just want us to be cognizant of the ability that we can flow in and out of this idea of leading, teaming, and following from moment mm -hmm. to moment. Mm -hmm. You might be in the middle of a board meeting, but 
St. Cows, Commander-in-Chief of the Home Front, gives you a call, you might go into teaming mode. Or it may be she has to make a decision and you go into following mode. It, you know, it, you know, in our household, we call it team auger, you know, because it's me and my bride together, we're a team. Right. Now, I'm the head of the household, but there's no way I would want to try to accomplish that without her. So we're also a team, and there's moments where she's got the information and the knowledge, and I'll submit and follow. Right. It's not an abdication of my responsibility as the head of the household. Right. It's seeing that she's got something in the moment where she can lead out on this, yeah. and that's fine. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's us coming together as one and, and doing life together. Yeah. So, and that works in all of our spheres of influence is, is that we will have influence in all of our spheres of influence. So we'll lead team and follow, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, and we shouldn't be bifurcating or, or taking separate paths in any of that. If we are truly a Christian servant leader, out of Matthew, yeah. living that out, walking out our faith as an example, that should reflect good kingsmanship, followership, and leadership. Even if there's toxic people around us, yeah. the scriptures still give us ways to deal with that. Yeah. yeah. And are we the example of how to do that well? I'm not saying I get it right every time. I've had to apologize here recently. You know, we all have our moments. But am I striving in that direction? Hmm. So that, that would be my emphasis is for us to kind of look at the fruits of the Spirit as they're defined in the Scriptures. Can we ask ourselves those in a moment? It's almost like a quick assessment. If you're in one of those moments, right. am I being loving, kind, gentle, good, faithful? Am I exhibiting self-control? From the perspective of the Scriptures, not my personal perspective, but what do the scriptures say in that moment? It may be I have to be a lot more firm in the moment than is I'm comfortable with. Right. I may, I may be having to let somebody go because they've asked to be let go because they don't want to be held accountable for what they said they would do. Right. Right. Now, I owe it to them to kind of work them through that, but it comes to a point where fair, firm, and accountable, me being... Fair and firm and accountable doesn't mean I have to do it in a mean way. Right. I can still be kind in that process. But they've asked me to let them go because they're not willing to do what they agreed to do. So it just those are some of the key points that I wanted to just stress about leadership and how we're looking at it. And if you're ever struggling, running through the fruits of the spirit as they're defined in the scriptures, right. Is is a grace, is a great self-check. Yeah. Am I leading in this moment? You know, you may be having a disagreement with your bride, and if you're 10% at fault, you know, you're getting a shoulder tap. Say you're sorry, because you're still 10%. <laughs> right. Right. No, that's good, man. That's solid. Keith, how about you? I feel like I need to say something about Marcia. I've got to work my wife into this answer, or else I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in trouble. <laughs> um, let's see. Lead your wife well. No, appreciate that, Chris. Appreciate yes. you in that position. Um, no, so I guess as a business person having this conversation, um, I would say just remember that we're all, whether you're in a sort of ministry position or if you're not, 
that God has given us. Um, he's given us the call to live, live lives that are integrated wholes. We are, um, wherever we are, we are operating out of Christ's call to us to, to basically make him known, make disciples, and to teach them to obey everything um, that God, has, that he's commanded us. So as we go into our workplaces, we have to ask the question, am I going here? Like, am I going into this place because I'm called here to do the work that Christ has called me to do? The answer, I feel like for every one of us, every person who's going to be seated in a pew this, this week, just like the, the ones who are going to be, you know, speaking behind the podium, the answer is we have got to answer that question with yes. I am here specifically because God wants me here and he's called me here. And that, you know, in a thousand years, good leadership will look will bear will have borne fruit yeah that lasts that thousand years i'll see people with me that i've impacted with my leadership yeah. so it's it's not just good strategy it's not just good principles it's also um it's about legacy and that legacy gonna last yeah that's good that's fantastic well, guys no doubt we could uh we could continue to sound this out um but we're we're out of time and uh, Chris, just want to say again, thank you so much for your time and your energy and your effort. We're grateful for your service and we're grateful for your time with us. And uh, it's been a learning experience and, uh, and I'm grateful for you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. It was awesome. Guys, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. And uh, man, we look forward to seeing you and hearing from you in the future as we do more podcasts. Any questions, uh, anything you'd like for us to address, you can uh, hit us up at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com and uh, we'll get after it. Y'all have a great day. See ya. Hey, thank you for listening to Theology in the Dirt. You can email us at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you with some feedback and perhaps some questions if you'd like us to tackle. We'll see you next week. And until then, deuces.